AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Welcome to AT&T ThreatTrack for June... <laughs> Okay, welcome to AT&T Threat Track for June 21st, 2016. And uh, of course, we have a live studio audience here today, just lacking the studio part. Uh, this happens to be our 200th official episode of our program, and we thought it would be appropriate to do something a little bit different here today. So today we have some guests that are gonna go join us on the program, and we'll reflect a little bit on what things we've learned, what things we like about the program, and uh, we'll see how this goes here. And I'm told the production team has a few little special items for us that they're going to share along the way. I haven't seen them, so it's going to be a surprise for all of us. And so, uh, you know, perhaps it'll, it'll be a little tear jerking I'm, along I'm the way. Waiting to be surprised. Waiting to I be can't surprised. Wait. With bated breath. With bated breath. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we have some regulars on the program here today. First online, we have Jim Clausing. Welcome, Jim. Hi, good to be here. It is a special occasion. We really appreciate you wearing a tie, and I hear you're wearing sandals with that tie. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't see them on the camera, so. <laughs> okay, so uh, welcome, Jim. John Hogaboom, look at this. See? Wearing you a know, jacket. Now it's the episode. I broke out all the stops. Still got the jeans on, though. Got to go casual at least <laughs> a little right. bit. <laughs> hey, we're still a technical community here, and we have Matt Kaiser joining us today. How's it going? Welcome, Matt. And Matt, I don't think I've ever seen you in a tie. Really? <laughs> I definitely have. <laughs> Nevertheless, welcome to the program. And uh, you know what we're going to do here is, first of all, I just thought to reflect back. You know, this program has been going on for some time, and I was thinking back to the time we did the first pilot of this in December of 2010. And at the time, we were calling it the AT&T Cyber Threat Report, and eventually kind of rebranded it under the Threat Track name. And uh, it's interesting to see that you know, as we talk about things today, the concepts are really kind of the same. I mean, the, the notions around security, some of the things we were observing at the time were very similar. So uh, I think we're probably gonna hear some neat stories along the way about some things that um, you know we've been observing over the time and how things have changed. And to do that, we're gonna bring on our first guest, Joe Harton. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, Joe. Hey, guys. You've been a, uh, an occasional participant on the program here. so. Yeah, I'm relatively new to the show and infrequent, but I appreciate you guys for including me. Uh, it's been a wild experience. I mean, it's you know, the first couple times on, you're just locked in nervousness. But, you know, being on, I've probably been on about 10 or so times, and I'm pretty, you know, starting to get comfortable. You don't realize how it forces you to, to stay current in mm -hmm. this community and, you know, stay involved in what's, what's fresh and new in, mm -hmm. in security. You know, you're, you're bringing up some good points. You know, this this the security space is really moving very rapidly, Absolutely. and uh, in order to keep up with it, uh, it you know, you really have to have some means to do that. And you know, there's a real time aspect of it that is what's really going on here and now type thing. You know, there's some pretty good reports that some organizations are posting. You know, pub publicizing on a quarterly basis or an annual basis. But uh, I, I think one of the things that we like to bring available to folks is something that's you know much more timely what's going on in the last week or so right yeah and you know I'm I come from a development background and you know mm -hmm. a platform area so you know big data and cloud that's really more of my background but there's such a strong intersection between where the threats are and mm -hmm. even the threats in big data the threats in the cloud so it's really it's been helpful for sure to to be involved and mm -hmm. I appreciate you guys including me like I said well, we appreciate having you on the show. And you know, for folks that might not be aware, Joe's really focused on developing a threat analysis platform. He leads a team that helps to do that. So a very important part of this is basically cross-pollinization between the folks that are doing analysis activities using the platforms and the folks that are building it. Cool. So yeah, just one uh, couple things on the lighter side. I remember when, 
when you guys were doing the webcams, uh, I remember there's definitely one time when I just opened the door to John's office. You know, <laughs> right. I was like, I think I was looking for a signature for something, and he gave me this look like I had just, you know, broken the china. <laughs> like, get out of my office. Like, oh man, I'm sorry, you know. So that was pretty good. And yeah. then uh, when I was on, there was one day where I think all you guys were in training or something, but. Manny and I had to do two back-to-back. -back. We had to do a double feature, mm -hmm. and we had a customer briefing right before. So we had this whirlwind day of, you know, we, like, changed shirts in between to make it look like we were. <laughs> so, but, so it's been, it's definitely been fun, and, uh, you know, I look forward to continuing if, if that works out. So. All right. Very good. All right. I want to thank you for joining us today, Joe. All right. It was very nice, uh, and I uh, look forward to having you on the program a number of times in the future. Cool. So Matt, let's go to you. And uh, you've been on the program very much regularly in oh, the yeah. uh, in recent years. And so I'm interested in your thoughts. What have you gotten from this? Well, I was actually looking at the the old schedules. You know, we put up mm -hmm. our notes before the show, and how many shows have I been mm -hmm. on? And it started off with the first year I was on like maybe maybe eight total. And the last year I was actually on 40, 40 episodes. Forty. It's wow. crazy. It feels like I, I just started doing this. So. Um, <laughs> I think for me, one of the best parts of doing the show is having our guests on mm -hmm. from outside of AT&T. People like, uh, like Chris Hadnagy. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't here for HD Moore, but I watched it. It was a great, great mm -hmm. interview. Um, John Matherly of Shodan, Dan Kaminsky, mm -hmm. uh, Chet Wisniewski. It, it's just cool to, to meet people who are really on top of their game mm -hmm. and also who I would say are some of my personal heroes in InfoSec. So it, 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 honestly, it's, it's, it's every time somebody shows up, you know, I have to sort of push down the, the <gasps> but, but then you, you get into the, you start talking shop and you realize they're right. just really great guys, just like, you know. And, and Absolutely. And I, I, have to, I have to echo that. I've really enjoyed having those folks on the show. And I think, you know, one of the important, no matter how good you are as an organization or as a group or even as an individual, it really, you, you get much more strength out of, gathering others around you and being able to uh, you know share your experiences share your thoughts and and yeah. grow from that yeah absolutely. absolutely so it's definitely been a privilege having those folks on the program look forward to have sure. others on the show in the future so uh, we were you were talking uh, Joe mentioned the webcam days back at the start of the show mm -hmm. we'd all be in separate offices you know yeah. we'd have to sort of you know work through the phones and no one could really see each other's reactions except for like a little bit of delay so mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it when we moved to this space mm -hmm. I really feel like you know, we've started getting more and the conversations flow more naturally. It's, mm -hmm. It just feels like I'm actually interacting a lot more. And it also, I think, looks a heck of a lot better on camera, too. I think uh, so, so, too. I like Absolutely. it. I was going to say one of my other favorite things is um, when you get my name right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you usually get my name right, but when it, you don't, it's... Well, yeah, especially when Stan's sitting right beside you and I'm calling you Stan. And it's a, Sometimes Charles, yeah, other things. Yeah, I think things. I've been getting a little bit better with that. Always boys' names. I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, very good. Um, and other things about the show that I enjoy are getting to learn things about security that I wouldn't normally come across mm -hmm. in a, on my usual day-to-day. -day. You know, there are places that I work in, and then there's, there's the news that's going on, and, you know, maybe one day I'll learn something interesting and new about, you know, fraud, which is something I don't typically work with, but it's exciting, and it makes me think a little bit more about, you know, this is the problem in this area, these mm -hmm. are the, the ways they've solved it, you know, how can I apply that to my own work? So it, it gives me a much bigger view of what's actually going on. Yeah, very good. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, um, we've got we've been working with a lot of different organizations, and really, this whole threat analysis activity has grown significantly. It is understanding the threats and make, making sure that the analysis techniques are really practical approaches to things. I think that's one of the value propositions of this program is to, you know, get a better feeling for what threats are really out there, what attacks or activities are taking place quantifying those to some extent and then being able to, to leverage that to make sure that organizations are focusing their protection activities on the things that really need to be worked on. I hope we provide that same kind of larger view to everybody else who also has their own day-to-day -day but wants to get the big picture. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. So. so I think one of the questions that was asked was, you know, what's the most surprising thing we've seen in this space since we started doing the show? And for me, the, the IoT hacking and expansion of that has really gotten it's, it's incredible. I mean, mm -hmm. I realize IoT is a growing space. There's always going to be more devices, but it feels like we're still dealing with the same kind of security problems we had mm -hmm. back in the 90s with web servers and things like that. 
it, it kind of blows my mind. And every time we look at you know the scanning on Telnet port 23, and we always think this is the same problem. This is mm -hmm. not going away. It's getting bigger and bigger. It almost yeah. seems like we've gone a step backwards to me in yeah, that in the you know I think there was a lot of security awareness on passwords and whatnot 10 years ago. But all these IoT devices are getting shipped with a default mm -hmm. password of default or mm -hmm. password, mm -hmm. very simple, easy to guess ones. Mm -hmm. And um, I think vendors need to do a better job. Yeah. You know, not all. You know, some are doing a good job, mm -hmm. but some are not doing a good job in how they ship their devices yeah. uh, to the customers. So I, I think you make a good point. I think, um, and I'm not sure. Maybe it's a contribution of both of these things, but I think it's perhaps new organizations that are getting into a new business that is, you know, you look at raspberries and how inexpensive they are and there's been a, actually pretty good work around making it relatively easy to use and build projects around that. And then there's also sort of a new generation of folks that have not lived through the 1980s and 90s or even the... <laughs> Like I you, was for example. In the 80s. <laughs> no, so, but nevertheless, uh, you know, a new generation of folks that are getting into developing products perhaps just haven't learned the lessons yet. And so right. it's a matter of making sure that uh, there's programming and uh, you know, lessons or means to learn uh, the lessons that we've, you know, thought we had learned previously and, you know, continue that forward. And the other thing okay. I think that was always sort of surprising to me is just how much security news there is. I mean, mm -hmm. if you're not, you don't have your head in the space, you'd think that every once in a while somebody is getting hacked. Mm -hmm. That's not really the case. I mean, it seems to happen like a major breach or at least a, a fairly large breach every week, mm -hmm. new vulnerabilities every other day, new interesting reports about hacking groups that are just detailed, incredible. Like I think mm -hmm. once the, the APT1 report from Mandiant came out, that started a whole trend of people saying, we can, we can share this information now. We can actually mm -hmm. get, you know, some traction in trying to fix the problem. So mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to keep up with, honestly. You know, I, I, the whole space of threat intelligence is sort of around that, trying to keep up with all mm -hmm. you could possibly know. Uh, yeah, but it, it's a challenge. Yeah, very good point. You know, so we're forced to focus or specialize in particular areas, and I'll use the word dabble in other areas, just to, to gain some basic awareness of what other things are going on and how that might relate to your specialization. I think that's, uh, you know, I've always thought of you as sort of our, our web security specialist and uh, you know John you've been working on a lot of sort of the internet the IOT type things and the botnet tracking those types of things so, so we all have sort of of course you're a jack of all trades anyway. Right. I was going <laughs> to say telephony. <laughs> yeah but nevertheless it's you know we we end up being forced into going into a specialization and then again it's a it's around having some means to at least get a little bit of a connection into other areas so that um, uh, when there is a relationship between the two you can you make that connection. Good. What I'm looking forward to most the next 200 shows is, is more conversation with you guys, uh, more chance to work with our, our crew, and I'm looking off into space here, but I assure you, we have a crew, they're excellent, and they really deserve a lot more credit than they usually get, so thanks, guys, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, and maybe by the next 200 episodes, we could step it up a little bit, you know, 3D rendered environments with headsets, Murray sitting here on the couch. I, I'm not sure our audience would appreciate us wearing uh, 3D headsets while we're trying to do no, the show. No, maybe they wear them. Oh, they wear the, okay, so uh, perhaps they we can yeah. be like on the couch with us. I just wanted to see Murray sitting on the couch. You guys can do what you want. All right, and for folks that might not be already aware, you know, Murray's our mascot that helps us with our security awareness activities. He's not always that smart about security, but he helps us to learn how we should be secure, you know, good about security in our organization. So, very good. So Matt, thank you very much for that. And with that, I think, uh, you know, I'm told that our production team has put together a little bit of a video here and I think they're gonna share it with us and let's see what we get. Hi everyone, John Markley here and I just wanted to tell you all congratulations on making a difference and for recording the 200th episode of Threat Track. Thanks again, and we'll see you all soon. Congratulations, Threat Track, on your 200th episode. Hi, guys. It's your biggest fan, Nancy Grover. Wow, 200 episodes. That is an amazing feat. And I just want to send you my warmest congratulations on making it this far, and I cannot wait to watch the next 200 episodes. See ya. Congratulations on the 200th episode of AT&T Threat Track. It's been a blast and a lot of fun.
Hey, Threat Tracks team, I wanted to send my congratulations. 200 episodes, boy, there aren't too many shows that can say they lasted that long. So from your number one fan, uh, Ed Amoroso, wanted to wish you the best and looking forward to another 200 great episodes. Thanks. Hey guys, congratulations. Five years of Threat Track. Boy, since April 15, 2011, the first one rolled off the presses. Uh, it's been a great show. Uh, lots of uh, lots of good folks coming in, uh, sharing knowledge, and uh, really proud of the team. It's a great job. It's fun to watch. And uh, just think now, you only have 396 episodes to catch The Simpsons. Congratulations, guys. <laughs> All right, very good. So special thanks to the folks that uh, shared the uh, those congratulations here. You know, many of those folks have participated in the program, and even if they haven't participated in the program directly, they certainly have been big supporters behind the scenes. You know, something like this doesn't come together by accident. A lot of people put a lot of work into it. Um, so with that, you know, let's, uh, Jim, I'd like to uh, pass the, uh, the reins over to you here. And uh, what are your thoughts? What do you reflect on? Well, uh, you know, as Matt said, one of the, one of the big things is when we have some of the outside guests. Uh, really enjoyed the talk with H.D. Moore and with Chet Wisniewski and, and my good friend Ed Scotus, although I didn't get to sit on the couch with him. Getting to talk to, to some of the big names in the, in the industry is, it has been a lot of fun. Uh, also enjoy just you know, getting to talk with you guys. I, the, our viewers aren't really aware. We, get, we, we fire this all up. And we talk for 15, 20 minutes before we start recording about what it, you know, what we're going to cover. And you know, since I am physically uh, several hundred miles away from you guys and only get to see you in person two or three times a year, this is a, you know, I enjoy these times where we get to talk about not only some of the stuff we're seeing at work, but you know, some other things that are going on in life. So that's. That's uh, something that I really enjoy about these. The internet weather has been, from the beginning, one of the things that I think has set this program apart from a lot of other things. And we get to to see trends before they before they hit the you know before we even know what they really are before they hit the media. Um, and some of these stories will get me thinking and get me going off and doing additional research. I mean, these, these periodic reports that I've done on the passwords that we've seen in the honeypots, those were all triggered by a story that came up and they were talking about one of the password breaches and what the, what the passwords were that they saw. And I realized we've had these honeypots sitting out there running for forever. So I decided, well, let's actually go and see what kind of data we've collected out of them. And some of the other ones have, have sent me off in other directions, doing other research that haven't had, the results haven't always made it back to the show. I, some of them I think still will. It gets me thinking about things, as you were just saying uh, a little bit ago, you know, we kind of get in our little niches. And so the show has, you know, by bringing up some of these other stories gets me thinking outside of the stuff that I am doing on a day-to-day -day basis around here. I was going to just say, Jim, you know, I was kind of reflecting back. You sort of started back a little bit, uh, a little bit ago about, uh, you know, sort of assembling and planning out the show. You know, I think we've probably said a number of times that, you know, we're, we're not really a, a programming team. We're not here to do the program. We're we're here to do, uh, build our threat analysis systems, do our threat analysis activities, and this is really just a, an opportunity to kind of share a little bit of the information, a little bit of the learnings. I find it to be a learning experience myself, and um, it, you know, like you said, it's uh, we we basically bring the show together in a in a very relatively short period of time, chat a little bit about what we're going to talk about, and then uh, you know, put together a recording, and then of course the production team does a lot of work to make it a little prettier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to make us look good. Yeah, it was interesting. You were talking about the that pilot that we did that you know, our viewers never saw, but um, and the internet weather that 
on that very first one, a couple of the top uh, ports of interest were 23 Telnet, which is back there at the top again. For a while, it had kind of moved out. And I think 1900 uh, might have been in there or in 5900 VNC, you know, and they don't go away. I mean, we, we're still talking about, you know, port 445 and the Conficker stuff that we're still seeing. And that's, you know, it's been out there for years. And these things just, you know, as, as John was saying, we, you know, I, I think in some ways we've taken a step back with all this IoT stuff. We're seeing return of some of the issues that I had hoped were fixed years ago. One of the other things I've really liked recently on the show is Matt's book reports. He's, he's gotten me to actually pick up a couple of books that I probably would not have otherwise read uh, just because he mentioned them and they sounded interesting. So thank you, Matt. All right. No problem. All right. Very good. If I wasn't doing the book reports, I probably wouldn't pick them up and read them myself, too. So <laughs> it helps me a lot. Yeah, it's always good to have a little extra inspiration. It's like, uh, you know, making that commitment at the, uh, the gym as well. So... All right, very good, Jim. I appreciate your comments here. And so what we're going to do now is uh, invite our next guest on here, Stan Nurlov. Welcome, Stan. So, Stan, you've been on the program for quite some time. I think you were actually a participant as well as uh, Jim and I think John in the original program that was mentioned earlier in April. I think uh, Bill Hearn had mentioned that. And by the way, I'm not sure if it was mentioned, but Bill Hearn was on the video is our uh, chief security officer now. So, uh, Stan, what do you reflect on as, uh, you know, uh, on this program? Uh, well, like Jim, I actually like the Internet Weather Report. You know, the cyber world is kind of hidden away from us. In the real world, you can see when an attack is happening. And mm -hmm. there's like a lot of, even if you think about like your news weather station, uh, they, they always telling you what's coming or what's happening. There's no real good guide out there uh, about the internet and what's happening. You can't mm -hmm. see people knocking at your door. And I think some of the research we do here uh, that we present on the show is really eye-opening. And it definitely was for me from the mm -hmm. very beginning. And tracking it over time, just like Jim mentioned here, right? It's some of the same stuff is coming back from the pilot episode. Uh, some of those things are coming back. One of the things that I thought was uh, kind of cool, and if you look at some of the older episodes, you'll see this, is the discovery of the car in a botnet before it was published. You'll hear uh, John and you, Brian, talking about the DVR botnet, which is what we we're kind of our term for it was, mm -hmm. and we had been talking about it for months. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, the security researcher released his research and we finally found out who was behind it. Uh, but that was kind of interesting. And some of that stuff has now evolved into more of the malicious mm -hmm. uh, side with the IoT. Yeah, those devices that those uh, or closed circuit television or security surveillance camera DVRs has become a lot more popular. Yes. Uh, they're sold through quite a few more venues. Uh, but many of them, if not most of them, uh, still seem to exhibit all of the same vulnerabilities. Yes. And one of the things about the internet weather that you're talking about and everybody is talking about is, I don't know if everybody realizes what a really good vantage point we have as AT&T of kind of at a very high level what's going on on the internet. And there have been a lot of cases where we've talked about stuff in the internet weather, like we're seeing some activity and we're showing you a chart about this, but we don't understand why yeah. somebody is doing this yet. And then yeah. maybe a few weeks later or a month later, all of a sudden somebody releases a report, hey, there's this new vulnerability that people have been you know, using or exploiting for the past mm -hmm. few months or a month or so here. You know, we were aware that something was up, but you know, mm -hmm. it didn't really become clear to us what the exploit was until exactly maybe right. somebody else more involved in it was able to, you know, report on it right that's part the of ntp monolith thing we saw that a couple of weeks before it hit the news and absolutely yeah there have been quite a few of those I, I, more than a handful of uh, observations where we're observing the symptoms of a problem and uh there was no real uh certainly not any clear public uh information about that uh and you know i think one of the things as you point out stan is that um quantifying a problem 
is very difficult unless you have some real data to show for that. And I think that's one of the real distinctive differences is that, uh, and I think we're gonna see a little bit later. I think Joe, Jim had mentioned, you know, we see this port 23 activity, it was in the original, you know, pilot episode, we started talking about the scanning activity on port 23, but I'm willing to bet you, I didn't actually check, but I'm willing to bet you that it is at most in the ones of thousands of sources that were doing that, you know, maybe 5,000 sources, right, if, right. if that, probably around 2,000 or 1,000 sources. Now we're talking hundreds of thousands of sources. So as the time has, has gone on, we've been able to quantify how the things are changing and that to me is a is a significant thing maybe the vulnerabilities haven't changed but it certainly is an indicator that it needs some attention yes very good well, thanks for well, having me yeah, yeah. thank you stan uh, and we uh, look forward to show. look forward to having you on the show many times again in the future all right excellent all right, all right. thank you very good Take care. all right john I'm you, on deck. You're on deck. on deck. Now I'm at bat. <laughs> We've been partners in this program for some time now. So yeah, five uh, years. interested. You know, one of the things that I reflect on, and I don't know if our audience has ever had the opportunity to, to, uh, to experience, but, you know, we have our little Web Connect session that we use, we, particularly mm -hmm. when we were on the webcams, and every once in a while when we were working through a technical problem, John would start drawing with the mouse, and you get these little amazing cartoons <laughs> drawn <laughs> under the connect session. So anyway, I digress, John. Uh, so I guess those were your old favorite moments, uh, but we can't do that anymore because I don't have any place to draw. Yeah. So I guess some of my favorite moments are just hanging out like we've talked about yeah. um, because we don't, normally we're so heads down in our work that we don't mm -hmm. get a chance to just kind of talk about what's going on uh, in the greater security realm. We're so stuck in what are the security things we're each individually trying to work to solve within the company uh, or for our customers. But one of the things I really like about the show, and it comes kind of from the internet weather and from all of our analytics. So Joe talked about the platforms that he helps build that we as analysts use. So because of those capabilities that have been brought to us, um, when a new vulnerability arises or somebody's talking about something new, we oftentimes have really good tools and data to kind of draw a picture and kind of figure out what does this really look like? Are mm -hmm. actors really using this? And we can kind of report on that on the show. So it really, I kind of use a lot of this security knowledge and the discussion matter as tip-off points for my, okay, I'm gonna do some analysis on this to figure out what's really going on and what, mm -hmm. what can we see about this? Some of the other things I really like about the show is the John Markley quiz. Uh, I like when fun. he comes on, I like to have a little quiz. I like the kind of campy things that sometimes we do. Yeah. I don't know if it's campy, but you know, a little kind of game show kind of atmosphere. It's been a long time since I brought out the tinfoil hat. Right. Oh, yeah. You only did that once, I think, right? <laughs> only once. You know, some things you probably only should do once. <laughs> um, and then uh, one of the other things that a lot of people probably don't know, I think there's only two people that ever knew this prior to today, is that in the old days of the show, uh, I actually had a little tiny, like, stuffed mouse doll that was just in my office for no apparent reason. I don't even know why I had it. And I would move it around so that it was in the shot somewhere on the web camera. Every episode, it would move to a new location, sometimes be in the pocket of my shirt. Mm -hmm. And nobody ever noticed <laughs> that I know. Uh, or they never commented uh, yeah. during the show or after, but that's so that everybody yeah. can go back now to the archives and see if they could find uh, the mouse. Now, that, hidden, that predates Murray. Oh if yeah, that Bernard Murray. I think people would have noticed. Right, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, in terms of most surprising security changes, um, like everybody else said, I didn't really expect that the IoT embedded devices were going to be such a rich set of poorly secure devices that attackers mm -hmm. could leverage. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really there's just so many of these weak devices in the hundreds of thousands, even millions of them probably out there uh, that people are using, which is kind of a little distressing. Uh, so hopefully that trend will swing the back mm -hmm. of the other way and people start getting those secured. I will offer that I have seen some improvement. So for example, I recently just, I'm not going to mention the brand, but I just recently bought a new, uh, you know, Wi-Fi router, router device mm -hmm. for my home and they did everything right near as oh. I could tell. Well, that's they good. had a unique password set up for it. They had automatic update features associated with it. A lot of the things that we've been mostly concerned about are really are starting to get addressed associated with these things. So um, it is there is some positive progress there, but a uh, long way to go for sure. Yeah, I almost feel like there could be some kind of like certification checklist of mm -hmm. default password check. It's not 
on these, like you look at a little kind of sheet that everybody gets scored on. Mm -hmm. They put on the outside of a device or something when you buy it, you look at it in the store. Anyway, I don't know, just me talking out <laughs> loud. Uh, some of the other things um, that I did not expect is that threat intelligence, like when we started five, six years ago, uh, nobody was sharing any kind of threat intelligence mm -hmm. indicators at all. Everybody was, especially when you're talking about nation state stuff. Mm -hmm. And now it's become like a booming business. There's mm -hmm. a lot of players in this space, which I did not really expect. So I thought that was interesting. I, I agree with you. They're an awful, they're, I just shouldn't say awful. I don't mean in a negative sense, but there are a lot of organizations that uh, startup businesses that are in this business now. Some of them are very good at it and uh, looking at it from different perspectives of things. My personal opinion, since you brought up the subject, is that the the sort of the the like IP address indicators, domain name indicators, they're so volatile right. that uh, you know organizations that are selling that type of information are, are probably not going to be very successful at protecting organizations. That I think it's more along the lines of you know what kinds of trends are occurring, uh, you know how big is the problem, how what what types of techniques are being used to right. uh, conduct the attacks so that people can really kind of focus on protective measures that have some strategic benefit associated with it. But right. I agree with you. And there are some players in that space as yep. well uh, that, as a service offering that you can subscribe mm -hmm. to and, and pay for. Some other just little observations I had was that, you know, every, it seems like every new security vulnerability in the past few years needs to have a fancy name mm -hmm. like Shellshock and Freak and no Poodle. Longer. Oh, yeah, and a logo. they got to have a graphic with it, which I, my opinion is they don't really need that. It's yeah. just, it's a way, in a way, it brings attention to it, yeah. um, and it gets a lot of media press, which maybe people who are not paying close attention, like a lot of us are, it, I think it broadens the awareness, mm -hmm. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So Every good it, business has a marketing department, and right. uh, it's, a, it's really an important part of making that business successful. I think this is no different. I, I have to, I, I think that's a piece that I, I personally, you know, it seems a little unnecessary, but ultimately it becomes, it's a necessary part of things that if you really have an important problem, it needs a strong marketing campaign around that. And something flashy like that really does get some traction. Right. It, the hazard is sometimes you get this vulnerability that is, you know, it's a little esoteric. Yes. And there, it gets more yeah. flash than it perhaps should get. And right. Again. That's the reason you need good sources to be able to level set some of these things. Right, right. Um, and then I guess uh, in terms of what I'm looking forward to, basically more guests like we talked about, yeah. uh, both inside and out. I think uh, there's a lot of, when we have the different guests on, even like some of the ones that have come here, they're working in different spaces. And I think they all offer a unique kind of perspective of how security challenges they're working mm -hmm. or solving. Uh, are different than the ones that we normally encounter on a day-to-day -day yep. basis. So I think that's really useful, and um, uh, I'm looking forward to you know more security vulnerabilities. You know, a lot of times when these things come out, I'm reading through them, and I'm like, wow, I never thought about that particular angle. And mm -hmm. again, that kind of goes back to my initial point of, huh, I wonder if I can use kind of the data we collected to figure out and kind of fill out a bigger picture of what this actual mm -hmm. vulnerability looks like. So. Never underestimate the creativity of the adversary. Right? Yes, yeah, and, and some of them have been very creative where I wouldn't have thought about that in a million years myself. Mm -hmm. um, and some real clever techniques for doing things. So yeah, I anyway. think you've hit the nail on the head here. So with that, thank you, John. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna invite our next guest on the program here, Michael Singer. Thank you. Welcome Great to Michael. be here on the sofa with you for the 200th episode of Threat Track. We're glad to have you here, Michael. And you know, you you started out as part of our chief security office, and then you went over. You were working on managed security services, and now you've kind of come back and joined us again here. So you've had some different perspectives to share, and you've appeared on the program before as well. So tell us what you think. Yeah, I, I was uh, in on some of the early stuff where we kind of had some information we wanted to get out. So we thought, well, why don't we record it, make right. a video, uh, and then on some of the episodes, back when we just had a webcam versus mm -hmm. the actual sofa, which was a big step in the right direction, very consistent <laughs> with our collaborative workspace environment here. Yeah. yeah, I always thought our intention was right on. Let's focus on security. It's always been just a security-focused video. Mm -hmm. And then I also think we were early on seeing that a, a video is easy for people when they have a chance to just you know start mm -hmm. watching it, Maybe they're multitasking, maybe they're not, but it's mm -hmm. it's the right format. It's a 21st century format, mm -hmm. and the company has become 
very video first. So mm -hmm. I think the security team is consistent with uh, you know that that big driver for for all of the people at AT and T. Yeah, you know one of the things that that uh, just occurred to me is that you know when we started this program, video on a mobile device was a fantasy almost. I mean, there were people talking about it, but you really couldn't do it. And now, you really can watch the program from a mobile device, right? There's an app. There's an app for, for that. For ThreadTrack, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I reflected a little on, you know, thinking back to 200 episodes, all the things that had happened. And I think when we started, um, the idea that someone would just say, oh yeah, a million of these were stolen, and it didn't contain passwords, so no big deal. That just wasn't the environment. It, mm -hmm. it has really gotten to a point where there's some pretty big stuff that we just kind of say, oh, yeah, that happens every day. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it was like that on episode one. I think it, it no, is really, the world is crazier than it was <laughs> on episode one. Yeah. And uh, the thing that's also always been consistent, I think, in, in the security work is uh, the stories are pretty amazing stories. You kind of think, would a fiction writer even be able to come up with something like that? They're just so interesting and kind of amazing how people put stuff together. I think that's part of what challenges us and keeps us yeah. you know, here in this field and makes us want to stay in security. You know? Yeah. You know, you mentioned a fiction writer. You know, some programming, some regular programming has come about oh, yeah. in the cybersecurity space over the last few years. Yeah. Well, after this program, and you know, it's, it's not just the challenge of coming up with it, but just being able to explain it. Right. That is, I think that's, that's still the challenge, is that how, do you, how can you make something that can be so technically nuanced actually accessible? And right. I think that's one of the things we try to do here, is to, you know, try to give it a little bit of translation, kind of reach into the edges a little bit and understand it a little bit better. Understand it, have it make sense. And then mm -hmm. what's a lot of fun too is, you know, in this collaborative workspace, we argue with each other. Somebody presents something, but that's not right, you know. And and this is just an Talk extension me, of that. Right? The <laughs> There's always some good debate, right, um, over here in our space. And I think this having the the sofa here and having the show, it gives mm -hmm. people outside a chance to kind of like see what it's like to to be part of this group. Maybe if we think way out, we'll we'll not just have Murray 3D rendered, but we'll be able to have a guest, you know, 3D rendered to oh. present counterpoints to. To some yeah. of the discussion on the show, yeah, and then good. the team has done you know fantastic job of making Threat Track really something. I mean, look at the mugs. Uh, this is a very special day for episode 200, but Balloons. first class operation. Yeah, <laughs> so great yes. job. All right, great. Thank you very much. You're Thank welcome. Thank you for joining us today. You bet. Take care. And uh, with that, we're going to go to our next guest, Dave Gross. Dave's an alumni no, and of the program, yes. really, right? Dave really is an alumni of the program. Dave, I think you were on the original programs. Founding father. Yeah, yeah. One of the founding fathers, absolutely. And you've been working in uh, security analysis activities for as long as, actually, probably before I have. And, uh, yes, that's right. Working in a, a, a number of different areas. I actually come from, you know, kind of designing things and turned into this analysis space. And we joined up. You know, well, uh, almost 20 years ago, uh, probably 16 years ago, starting to work on these activities. So, welcome. Glad to have you on the program here today. So, yeah, what do you think? Well, thank you for having <laughs> me on this uh, special episode. I appreciate it. And I want to go over first uh, some of the things that have uh, surprised me uh, um, in terms of uh, what's happened in the environment. And I think everybody's kind of talked about the IoT thing, that you know, mm -hmm. how big it's gotten, stuff like that. Looking at that a little bit closer, some of the things that, that surprised me about it was that I figured IoT devices would be vulnerable and you could attack those devices. The thing I didn't think was that they would be threats to other devices. Yeah. And you know, just utilizing them to do DDoSs or utilizing them to go compromise other devices, I, I never really thought that you know, that was where that was gonna go. Mm -hmm. So that, that was something that kind of surprised me in, you right. know, in that evolution there. Another thing was uh, with connected car, um, I figured that you know, there would be some exploits, you know, you, you'd get into the entertainment uh, thing, maybe some of the communication with the car, you know, where you could uh, talk back to uh, some central controller or something, or you know, make phone calls and stuff like that. And some of the sensors in the car, you know, you could maybe uh, see what's going on. I never mm -hmm. thought that there would be issues where you'd actually have 
control issues with the car where mm -hmm. you know you'd be able to fool with the you know the brakes or the you know acceleration or anything like that Absolutely. so you know there there's some of this stuff that's evolved further beyond you know i guess because they have networks within the cars i never really looked at the architecture there and i just mm -hmm. thought it was you know, more of individual sensors. So you're referring like to uh, a very highly publicized uh, study or demonstration that was done by Charlie Miller, Miller right. and Company to uh, basically show that you could actually hack into a car, you could actually gain control of it, take over the uh, control of the engine and the brakes and, right. and things like that. And you know, it's only been, I guess, the last five years or so that there really has been a very, you know, at least public and concerted effort to try to build autonomous cars. And it's good that the security issues are coming out to make sure that if that's going to happen, that there's uh, really a decent security program around that to make sure that you know we don't end up with a clash of the, well, no pun intended, of the vehicles. Right, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, and um, you know, going on, I, I know uh, Michael has mentioned about you know how desensitized we've gotten to some of these breaches and stuff like that, and I don't know if it's uh, the fact that there have been you know so many more breaches uh, announced, and if that's because of the laws that are requiring it, or if companies mm -hmm. uh, are more open to doing it now because uh, other companies are doing it or whatever, but you know. The, the breaches don't seem to have an impact unless uh, it's in the millions. Yeah. You know, I think, this is, um, I, I, I think this is a topic that's worth discussing a little bit because one of the things that I think has happened over many years, you know, we go way back to the, what was it, the Da Vinci virus or something? It was actually on a floppy drive. Michelangelo? Michelangelo, yeah. thank mm. you very much. <laughs> Boy, I don't know how I got that. Nevertheless, the Michelangelo virus, you know, on a floppy drive. And what ended up happening is, you know, the whole antivirus industry started to build up and we're, you know, finding viruses and getting rid of those. And it, it just became a, that's just part of what you do. And it wasn't really thought about as a crime to be infecting machines. And even though the cyber laws were created to say that, you know, this is basically an unauthorized entry of, of sorts, uh, I think over many years, so long as the antivirus industry, not that they've done anything bad, but as it's treated as just a part of what you do, we've lost the sense that these are actually breaches or crimes against organizations. And uh, it, it's, you know, as you say, said, we've uh, become done, desensitized. And then so where is that little... Where is that extra step? It's that malware that gets installed that ends up being used as a means to steal data or destroy systems and things like that. But what is that threshold? Where does this crime start and stop if we've you know, right. been desensitized to it? So and I and think part it's very, of it is attribution point. too. It's right. so hard to attribute right. where, where the source came from and, mm -hmm. and that's part of why, uh, okay, you could say it's a crime, but there's not a whole lot you can do about it until mm -hmm. you can, you know, attribute it to somewhere or find a way to block that Attribution activity. is a big deal and very difficult, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So um, another thing that, that uh, uh, seems to, uh, um, you know, kind of surprised me about uh, how things evolved was how organized the malicious community has gotten, you know. Uh, uh, bad stuff is a service, you know, DDoS is a service, <laughs> ransomware is a service, yeah. botnets for hire, yeah. you know, malware well, and exploit kits yeah, and stuff. The kits and, uh, you know, they've been all kinds of the open source versions and the proprietary versions, all kinds of things. Very good observation as well. Yeah. Very so weird. that, you know, that I, I never expected that you could just, you know, pay for an hour of, uh, you know, DDoS service or, or mm -hmm. you know, whatever the thing was. Um, another one was uh, how big ransomware has gotten. And, and uh, ransomware, by the way, I was looking back through some of the old, old episodes, and um, John was trying to uh, educate us, you know, uh, expand our vocabulary. So he <laughs> had, yeah, he had a segment <laughs> back then called Malware Word of the Week. Mm -hmm. And ransomware was on the show on uh, January 20th of uh, 2011. Oh, wow. So uh, way back then, uh, more than five, five and a half years ago, basically, uh, John was talking to us about ransomware, and I guess it you know, was a big hit because you know, it's, it's uh, big in the media now. Now, what would have happened if I never mentioned it? 
Would there be no ransomware today? Was I, it a cause and effect? I don't know, maybe. Yeah, it's all your fault, just John. slunk off into the... <laughs> I'm just glad you didn't teach them how to do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's right. And then, you know, the effectiveness of drive-by uh, exploit kits. I mean, right. uh, I, I'm afraid to uh, uh, browse the web anywhere because I'm afraid, you know, getting infected because you never know where one of these things are going to pop up. Mm -hmm. uh, not just on the... Uh, any kind of obscure um, web pages or anything like that, but even on the mainstream pages through advertising and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, it's a lot more prevalent and a lot more effective than I ever thought anything like that mm -hmm. could be because it was back in the early days of this type of thing, it was always, well, how are they going to drive me to that site mm -hmm. in order to get me to get infected? Yeah. But there's so many different ways of doing it. You know, they, they can um, uh, fool around with the um, search results. Uh, mm -hmm. Or it could be redirects through, through something. Mm -hmm. uh, or, as I said, you know, on the adware or whatever. So there's just so many ways to get you there. And, you know, yeah. it's been very effective. The malware word of the week is malvertising. Yep. That's another yeah. one. <laughs> that's so you, that's, you, that's yeah. where you get this stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. And you know, Dave, the, um, I, I think your point is well taken. You know, browsers have become enormously complex. I think they've, you know, over the last five, eight years or so, have gotten much better at updating frequently mm -hmm. to help address some of those things. But you know, Jim, I, probably just a couple of weeks ago or, or a couple of months ago, uh, we were still talking about true type font vulnerabilities and uh, you know buffer overflow vulnerabilities associated with those and there's still you know the media the complexity of the media that goes into uh, websites now just lends itself to the opportunity for exploiting exploiting devices so on the mm. one hand improvements have come about on the other hand we're still battling some of the same old problems like you know font vulnerabilities yeah <laughs> that you had thought how could that still be a vulnerability how could that yeah. still be Yep. Um, Why does a font um, need to be executable? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, as John was saying, uh, you know, the attackers are very clever. They find ways of doing things that, that yeah. you never thought of. Um, there's also uh, what I'm calling hand-me-down technology, where uh, we have technology coming from uh, nation-state actors to crimeware, yeah. to hacktivists, to individual attackers, like, you know, remote access Trojans, where they get in there and give you remote control. Mm -hmm. It used to be at the higher echelons, higher level uh, type of attackers, and now they're more common, more, more mm -hmm. available. Yep. Um, DDoS for higher, you know, um, gamers and, and so on can uh, attack sites or, you know, hacktivists or whatever. Right. So. And along with that, the more subversive command and control techniques that they, uh, they could employ to make it harder to pick up on them. Yeah. Absolutely. And I was going to say, there's been a blending over the past few years where nation state actors will use crimeware like Zeus or some of these mm -hmm. other ones just to gain a foothold into an organization and then pivot that to become a... Mm -hmm. uh, like a remote access Trojan mm -hmm. thing, and yeah. vice versa even, probably. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of cross-sharing, pollination right. of those spheres. And so it, it's really hard to tell now. When you see one of these um, pieces of malware, you don't know what you're up against. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so you common. You don't know who the actor is. You don't you know, know who the actor out. is and, and how <laughs> sophisticated they are. Yeah. Yeah. Because some of these could be, you know, more, you know, script kitty and stuff like that that they've just bought it from somewhere as opposed to right. developed it themselves. And you don't want it, you don't want it to manifest to the point where you can figure that can out quite obviously. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, um, you know, I, I just had a couple of the highlights from the show. Um, one of them, uh, you know, I, I like this new setup. I, I was only on the show way in the early days when we had the. Uh, uh, webcams and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. I remember a lot of uh, what we were doing in the show was trying to set that up, test it each week. You know, it was on our own PCs. Mm -hmm. And so uh, depending on what else you had running on there, it would interfere. And, and you know, sometimes you had to retape uh, sections because they didn't come through and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So this is much better, much more natural. And, and we can actually talk about the, you know, topics rather than talking about the, the technology that, you know, we're <laughs> having some issues with right. and stuff you know, like that. I was that. just remembering back in those days, 
your office had a motion sensor light that you could not uh, disable. Yeah. Yes. And I remember you'd be sitting there, and all of a sudden, boom, it would dark, and you see Dave's arms waving around. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So that, that was one of the things that I had to deal with because I, I wanted to be still on camera, but then, you know, <laughs> had to wave to, to get the motion yeah. back. Um, the other thing is uh, when I listen to the show now, um, I listen to the podcast, but I listen to it at uh, one and a half speed so that I can uh, get it, uh, get through it faster. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's good because it's still very understandable, but um, it's uh, kind of entertaining, too, because you get these uh, blurps of, uh, you know, discussion and then a, mm -hmm. a little pause and then more blurps. So it, it's uh, it's kind of an interesting rhythm of the, the mm -hmm. conversation as you go So through. you say we need to talk faster? Yeah, absolutely. Which of us has the best chipmunk laugh? Well, actually, uh, at the one and a half speed, it's not chipmunk. It, it still, for some reason, seems to keep more or less yeah. the same register. They, but do, it, uh, they do digital sampling, so it doesn't actually change uh, the pitch. We could Sorry about the that, whole Matt. show like at a faster pace and speed. Mm -hmm. Then you're one and a half times speed listening to it. You'll be done in like... Three yeah, no time. Like, that's true. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just do the you know direct brain implant. Right. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So actually, Brian, I had a question for you. Um, did you ever think that uh, we'd get to uh, 200 episodes with this thing when we started? You know, there's some things you just don't want to think about. <laughs> I, you know, I am so glad that we've gotten this far. I, I, you know, I think when we started this, we we anticipated maybe doing a handful of shows and then it would kind of fizzle out. But you know, it's actually gained momentum. And uh, I'm really happy about that. It's, uh, I think it's been very beneficial. And I was just reflecting with um, you know, Bill O'Hearn, our chief security officer, earlier today. When we originally did this, it, the intent was so, so that if there were an issue that we found, you know, like we've been observing recently with these you know, huge numbers, a botnet that was building up or something, we wanted to have a mechanism to get the information out there. And so we thought, well, you know, let's, let's you know, make arrangements to do this. And, but, you're never good at anything that you don't practice. And so we figured, well, we better get a, a sort of a regular rhythm around it. We'll do it you know, once a week, and if we need to do an ad hoc thing, we know how to do it. It's really easy, we just put it together and go out. And uh, now it's become you know, a, its own you know, function in itself, and I think it's been uh, relatively successful. So yeah. glad and it's, it's very stuck. worthwhile. You know, uh, I think everybody gets a lot out of the show, you know, gets a lot of uh, good information or good mm -hmm. Uh, thoughts out of it, you know, different ways of thinking about things and different approaches. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's really been good. And I, I never thought we'd have uh, outside guests either. So I appreciate <laughs> that as well. Yeah, that's definitely been a privilege. Yeah, definitely been a them privilege. On. Absolutely. So, well, thanks very much, Dave, for joining us today. And we look forward to having you on the program sometime again in the future. Thank you. Hopefully, I look frequently. forward to it. Take <laughs> care. Great job. Okay, so, you know, I thought I'd just reflect on a few things that I've uh, sort of obser observed over time. You know, one is that I've been sort of surprised. We were really concerned about mobile malware. You know, yeah. with the you know, as many devices that are out there, the plethora of devices, the different types of devices that, uh, you know, if you think about it in terms of regular computers and mobile devices, there are more mobile devices, significantly more mobile devices than there are uh, just regular desktop computers and things. Yet, they still have not become anywhere near significant of a problem from a you know malicious activity point of view and i think that's really encouraging and i'm you know my fingers are crossed knock on wood we hope it stays that way there are some good controls they were put and i think the folks that you know built the uh the primary uh security controls around mobile devices have done some very good things in terms of the application controls and the uh, security controls within the operating systems whether it be android or uh you know, Apple's iOS. And, uh, you know, I'm really encouraged by that. That's been a good thing. And of course, you know, we do a lot of work to make sure that the uh, mobile network itself is secure. There's a lot of encryption in place in the mobile environment that, you know, just didn't exist in the, uh, in the traditional space. So, uh, very good thing. Uh, you know, um, I found it interesting that we kind of started out, and we were talking about this, we kind of started out with botnets. In fact, one of the you know, the impetus behind the program, we wanted to be able to report that, you know, a big botnet was building up. And then uh, as time went on, we started seeing, you know, botnets evolving from DDoS to file sharing and spamming activities. And then, you know, 
Vir we even saw virtual currency mining. Remember the Doja yeah, coin? I think still, <laughs> still seeing that activity, yeah, yeah. and um, you know, doing it on you know stolen resources. It was kind of a, a strange thing, uh, and then the whole thing sort of evolved to data theft was the big thing with the uh, industrial espionage, that advanced persistent threats. That became really kind of a big theme, and then more recently, data destruction. You know, ransomware as well as the, uh, you know, like the destructive events with uh, Sony Pictures and things. And now we're kind of back to botnets and uh, they're bigger than ever. And, uh, you know, kind of an interesting evolution. As with others, I never really expected IoT would be so bad. And uh, it's, you know, it's almost as if some of the activity is deliberate. Uh, you know, we've definitely seen devices that have back doors. Those don't get right. there by accident. Very questionable, like yeah. why is this port allowing yeah, a back door right. without any kind of authentication. Yeah, and you know, it's fundamentally, the, uh, the it's such a rich environment, not just because, just because of what we talked about earlier in terms of being easily exploitable, but a lot of these devices are deliberately connected to the internet, they don't run antivirus, they're on all the time, they have all the kinds of characteristics that an attacker would love to have as a part of a botnet that is uh, to be able to maintain some persistence. And, and they were designed to keep costs down, so there wasn't a lot of time spent on development. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So and they're usually on the edge of your network where you're not going to have mm -hmm. anything monitoring the network activity, so to even know when it's infected mm -hmm. in small you know, environments with these little home routers and whatnot. Absolutely. So, you know, a couple observations about what I like about the program. Personally, as a manager, you know, when we started doing this, I was working as an individual contributor, as an analyst. That was my job every day. But my job's changed. I'm more managing an organization now. And this is really my opportunity to really get a finger on what's going on in the technical world. So I really appreciate the opportunity talking with you folks. I learn more from this program than perhaps anybody else. So it's been a great opportunity. Uh, you know, one of the observations has been that, um, you know, security threats don't, there are no revolutions here. You know, if we look at what we've been tracking over time, it's really sort of just incremental right. little steps. Slow and evolution. so if you have uh, basically an activity to study what is going on, you can predict what the next step might be and be prepared for it well before it really becomes an issue. And uh, I think that's one of the really the things that I like about this program and participating in it is it's an opportunity to do that. And I think I had mentioned earlier that I feel that this is an opportunity to be cognizant of the real threats as opposed to, and to distinguish those from sort of the theoretical things. We've right, talked right. about theoretical activities on the program and we compare that with real activity that we see or that others are observing and try to put the, some good perspective. So I think that's an important part so that organizations can focus on the things that are most important. My favorite <laughs> um, uh, event sort of that I remember is uh, back when we were on the webcams I was working in my home office, doing my thing. We're doing the recording the program, and I see my daughter's arm reach over my shoulder for the stapler <laughs> <laughs> up on the shelf. I remember that one, <laughs> yeah, Jim. You remember that? And so it was just a sort of a humorous moment. We got done with the program. It was like, oh, what are we going to do? Are we going to re-record it? I said, nah, just leave it in there. <laughs> and then uh, a couple of weeks later, or a few days later, or something, I got a release form to make sure that uh, you know that it would be okay to release her uh, persona on the oh, internet. Oh, <laughs> that was kind of a funny thing. So nevertheless, uh, you know, I think the casualness of the program is an important part of it. I think uh, I, I really feel that that's a, uh, you know, sort of an essence of this and it, it, the, our ability to have some impromptu discussion right. and to really kind of bring some perspective around things. So it's one of the things I really appreciate. So for in a very abbreviated internet weather report for this week, uh, I just wanted to report on scan probes and sources on port 23 TCP. This is Telnet again. We've talked about it quite a bit. What's significant here is actually looking at the bottom graph. This is the number of sources, unique sources we see scanning on that port at any given time. If we were to look back significantly, even back years, there is no point in time where we would find any port that has had this number of sources yeah. scanning on it. We're up uh, to a new record just today on uh, June 21st, nearly actually in excess of 320,000 sources on a, in a given hour. And I think over the last day, it is uh, for, actually for yesterday, June 20th, uh, we saw a cumulative number of 740 
roughly 742,000 sources. This is one of the uh, biggest you know, sources of scanning activity or the, the, the largest sources of scanning activity we have ever seen. And so uh, this activity continues to grow. And I think uh, just to give it a little bit of explanation behind this, and this is my theory anyway, and feel free to chime in uh, on your thoughts, but the, um, I think what this really is is a race. That is these devices, when they get power off reset or they're newly installed, it's a matter of getting to those devices first to compromise it. That is, from an attacker's point of view, uh, all, above all of other, all the others that are trying to get, you know, build up a botnet of this. So they're scanning very aggressively to try to get to that device first, compromise it use, using the, uh, you know, the uh, uh, brute force guess against the uh, default passwords, uh, install the malware, and as a part of that, they usually will block access for anybody else to infect it. And it only lasts as long as the device stays there. Really, A lot no, of them are leaving them open. Some of them, that's true. Some some of them, yeah. yeah, a lot of them are left yeah. open, especially when we're talking about these IoT things, these home routers, mm -hmm. webcams. It's true. They're not, they're not closed up. So yeah. some actors might be doing that, but there are plenty of actors who, after mm -hmm. they compromise it and get their malware on there, they don't, they don't do anything to lock it up. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, there's been cases where there's multiple versions of malware running on them. Yep. Uh, and that thing must be performing terrible for whoever's using it. <laughs> so every time they reboot it, they're probably it was, like, wow, everything's great again. Yeah, for the, for the next 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, until somebody <laughs> finds it again. Right, you so. Know, I, think, I think if we start seeing scans where people are not only trying to break into them, but also trying to find remote reboot commands mm -hmm. for these things, I think that's when we're gonna start seeing that. Because someone's going out and actively trying to clean up or, or reset the, uh, mm -hmm. the memory and then jump in behind that. Yeah. Absolutely. And, so. you know, on this chart, I know we're running long here, but back at the beginning of the chart there, we were at like 100,000 scan sips per hour. That was still the number one, that you was. know, most scan source, and we've tripled from that time span. Mm -hmm. So this is, really, this is a lot of devices. Yeah, through the roof. So, okay, so with that, um, I am told the uh, production team has another little surprise for us. So let's see what they have up their sleeve. Hello and welcome to the AT&T Threat Track. Today we're joined by Manny Ortiz, Dave Gross, John Hogeboom, Jim Clausing, Matt Kaiser, Joe Harden, Michael Singer, John Markley, Josh Lackey, Francis Chinfroca, James Whitchurch, Chris Larson here, Chris Hadnagy, Ed Scotus, Dan Kaminsky. This is where we actually work on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm not sitting on the couch necessarily. This is probing on what I described as SSL-enabled ports. The 90s called and they want their DDoS attacks back. <laughs> so obviously that immediately raised some alarm bells in their head that something's not right here. You see, you see where this is going. Yeah, yeah. And until then, keep your network safe. All right. That was a nice little walk down memory lane. How about that? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> and I stand corrected. You did wear a tie, Matt. There's, we there's did see that. There's evidence, yeah. And you know, we have another guest here joining us. Oh, special guest. Oh, we hey. have Murray. So Wait, we had mentioned Murray wearing, earlier in the program. I'm not wearing glasses. Okay, good. <laughs> we had mentioned Murray earlier in the program. And you know, Murray is our mascot. He helps to protect uh, or actually educate folks in yeah. our uh, enterprise about security and how they should be, uh, you know, paying attention to what they click on and what they read in email and uh, how they should respond to things. And uh, Murray's done a good job. This is obviously the less educated Murray. He's obviously got Murray. a frustrated, uh, frustrated <laughs> look on his face because he's uh, often made some mistakes, but we uh, like to learn from example. So uh, welcome, Murray. Thank you for joining <laughs> us again today. And with that, it looks like we might have yet another surprise. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, oh, nice. And we Dude, have a cake. My coffee. Oh, wow. <laughs> this one... is beautiful. Can we get a good shot of this? Oh, wow. <laughs> we will. If there's one thing that we've learned from, uh, from doing the show over these past few years and dealing with the team is that you guys run on sugar and junk food. So we thought that nothing 
would be no show would be complete without yeah. getting well, you sugar. And this is great food. because we ran out of donuts early today. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and for folks that aren't already aware, this is Dan Rubin. He's our director, and uh, we very much appreciate not just Dan's efforts in putting this program together. Of course, all the creativity comes from from your team here and the folks, uh, as was mentioned earlier, behind the scenes here. They've really done a great job at uh, helping with this. You know. All of this equipment that's used for doing the recording here gets brought in in the morning. They set it up. It's a whole full day of event. And then when we're all done, uh, a sigh of relief and all the equipment gets packed up in boxes and taken out. And uh, that is a privilege that we get for being able to actually record this program in our real work area. And, you know, one of the early things that, um, that we had established with this program was that it really needed to be relatively easy. We've got our regular jobs that we needed to do. And uh, so you've really accommodated us well, and we very much appreciate doing that. Started out with webcams and have improved significantly since then. So thank you very much to the production team. Thank you. Ben, thank you. It's the crew out here that gets all the applause for doing the, the hard work of hauling everything up and down every week. I just get to walk in and out. So they're, they're the ones who work the hardest. Um, we just wanted to take the opportunity. It's been a pleasure for all of us. Many of us have worked with you guys since 2005 or 2006 on a bunch of other different programs. Mm -hmm. And having the opportunity to work with you week after week on something like this and putting together something that all of us are really proud of has really been a joy for us and hopefully for you guys as well. So once again, congratulations on 200 shows. May there be 200 more. So thank you guys. <laughs> least. All right. Very good. So now for a more traditional ending here, that's our show for today. And we'd like to thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at attthreattrack at list.att.com. You can find AT&T Threat Track on the AT&T Tech Channel. It's on YouTube. It's also available on audio podcast on iTunes at one and a half speed if you prefer. <laughs> and uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at ATT Business. And uh, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. All of our guests, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Jim Clausing Online, John Hogaboom, Matt Kaiser. I'm Brian Ruxrod. We'll be back next week with a new episode, content packed, I can assure <laughs> you. And until then, keep your network safe. So you're going to send some cake over TCP IP <laughs> well, uh, here? We're going to put it in an envelope for you, Jim. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.